Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me a top producer in Southampton and also in the west of the canal area, and that is Deirdre DeVita. Hey, Deirdre, how are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me, John. I'm so happy you can make it. You know, um, I'm going to start off. How long have you been doing real estate, by the way? It's nigh on 15 years now. Oh, geez. That, doesn't time fly? God. Please. No, it's been a long, long 15 years. Good, good. Um, what attracted you to real estate to begin with? You know, I was looking for my first apartment in the city and I had a very limited budget. So I did a ton of legwork. I looked at everything in order to grasp the market. And I got very fascinated by the relative values of things. And how they and I, and I thought to myself, I had a different career at the time, but I thought to myself, later and later on, I want to I want to get into real estate because this is interesting. Good. So what do you love about real estate? Wow, so many things. I, I love that, you know, and while I was attracted by the relative values, that was fascinating to me. Um, what I learned once I got into the business, and it's so obvious, but it's really about the people that you're interacting with. You know, it's about the people and their point in life and what they're doing and making it, making it work for them. So the, the people aspect of it, I really like. I like that it is um, never, never a dull moment. You wake up and you really don't know how the day will turn out because a phone call can you know direct you one way or the other. And I'm always in what I call triage mode. <laughs> how true. <laughs> You're making me laugh there because it's true. It's like uh, that phone call. Sometimes it's either the challenge of the day or it's the uh, highlight of the day. <laughs> right. And you thought you had a plan and you're going to do X, Y, Z, but all of a sudden it's ABC. Right. Exactly. What, what kind of advice would you give to someone who was thinking about uh, becoming an agent? I would say go for it and just be prepared to take some time to get traction in the business. It, it's something that um, you need to commit time to to um, excel in and um, don't be discouraged. You know, I think persistence really pays off in this built in this business. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what, what three things uh, do you think helped you to be a success in real estate? Well, um, my former career, I used to be a ballerina <laughs> and it doesn't seem like that relevant, a, um, a lead into real estate, but I was a freelance artist and therefore, I had to be mindful of always bringing value to a situation. There's a lot of competition in that business like this one. And so um, you have to bring it. You have to be there and, and be worth it so that, they, that you get hired again. You can't really rest on any laurels. So that's one, one thing I think is important. And persistence is part of that. Um, and I think you also, like in the arts, you have to find what motivates you and kind of makes you special and and nurture that because that's also part of what you add to the situation. Excellent. Um, 
What do you think uh, your clients want most from you? It depends on the client. Some people want handholding. Some people want data. Some people want me to get them the best deal possible. Um, different different types of people have different approaches to real estate, and obviously, different situations also dictate um, different things. Um, I think that I, I make a point of being very discreet with with my about my clients and. Um, my, my, my motivating force that makes me have drive and be interested in the business is being an excellent advocate for them. That's what that's, I want them to succeed. And that's my primary objective. So what you're basically saying is that you, you look at the long term, not necessarily the short term. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's talk about the market then. How, how is uh, inventory now? Well, inventory is still low especially in our bread and butter categories, you know, under 2 million is very hard to find a good house or even vacant land right now. Um, the, the pace of sales has slowed down uh, in part because of this, you know, there's a lot of outstanding buyer interest still. Um, but at this time of year, we typically get into a mode where people who haven't found their dream house yet are going to likely wait a bit especially these buyers who have been through the ringer with bidding wars and that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, we have some headwinds with the, with the war and, you know, mortgage rates, inflation. Um, also an election, a midterm election. Some people wait for any uncertainty to be dispelled before taking action on a, a big capital investment. So I think we're going to see, um, we're going to see some quiet times for the next month or so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent advice. Um, do you still think that Southampton and, and West of the Canal towns are still vacation spots or have they become more like final destinations? <laughs> well, all of the above, because, you know, many people throng here for this, the high season still. And a lot of people use their houses throughout the year as a getaway. Um, that's why they have these houses. So many of the people come from nearby, you know, even an hour up island, but they, need to come here to feel like they're having a, a, a vacation-y time. Yeah. Um, but yes, we've had a big uptick in, in um, year-round residents out here. And uh, there are a lot of people doing hybrid lifestyles now, you know, if they can, if they can manage it, because they learned throughout the pandemic that that's, that's a way they can be really efficient and have a little bit of a better family life. Right, right. You know, it's, it's interesting what you say. I'm always amazed that people come from Connecticut. And yeah. Which, to me, I, you know, there's the, why not the, the, uh, the Bay or the sound of uh, Connecticut, but they, they still like to come here. I know. I, I know such people and I asked them that. And, they, and the answer usually is, um, you know, because it's here that I can be relaxed and I can let go of my everyday, you know, obligations. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I, I've heard from many clients of mine over the years, some of whom have several houses, um, that if they could only keep one, they want to keep the Hamptons house hmm. for the reasons we just talked about. That you know, that's where the memories happen. That's where the family gathers. That's where all the friends come, and um, they 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 have really warm feelings about their place here. Yeah, yeah, that's so true, and it is a unique place. I mean, there's uh, nothing like it. Uh, that's uh, I mean, wherever you travel, it's when you come back. It's like you just recently got back from Portugal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was I was in this I was in the south in the um, Algarve region and 
I was in this beautiful bay, just be, and there was a barrier island to the ocean. And I took a little video and I was like, wow, this looks exactly like what I left. But it was warmer. <laughs> it was warmer, right? <laughs> okay, so since um, your bailiwick is Southampton and, and west, of the, west of the canal, what towns are included in when we say west of the canal? So the town of Southampton stretches from um, Eastport in the west all the way to um, Sagaponic in the, in the east. Uh, so I, the, 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 there's a half of Eastport that's in Southampton Town. The other half is in, in Brookhaven Town. And then there's Remsenburg, West Hampton, West Hampton Beach, Quayog, Quag, East Quag, and Hampton Bays. So there are a lot of Hamptons. Yeah, there is. Speaking of uh, Remsenburg, I, I'm sure you've read that article in Dan's paper. Yes. The Secret Hampton. Uh, you want to any thoughts <laughs> on that? Well, yeah. I, well, I, I live in Remsenburg and I love it so much. And um, you didn't like uh, that article then because now it's going to it's going to be too. Uh, no, I don't mind. I, don't, I want people to recognize and love it. Um, and, you know, but those who have bought real estate already, are, hopefully their stock will be up. Um, indeed, prices in Remsenburg. Um, I did an analysis of it recently. And, and over the course of the pandemic, they went up 90 percent median price. Really? Wow. Yeah. And uh, it's a very low key hamlet. There's only about 1,200 and change units, taxable units in the hamlet. There's not even a traffic light here. There's no commercial endeavor. Um, but it has this kind of, um, I call it George Washington slept here meets the Hamptons <laughs> feeling because it has a lovely Main Street, which is south of the highway, uh, not the same thoroughfare as everyone's using to get you know east and west and um, beautiful historic homes there and then lovely lanes down to the Murch's Bay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, how is the summer rental market this year? This was a weird market. A lot of my um, a lot of my landlord clients um, didn't didn't get the, the as many rentals or as or any rentals. Um, we we're thinking that this is in part because a lot of people who were closed out of rentals during the pandemic ended up buying properties. And they came off the market as tenants. Um, and then this year, when many were able to travel again, a lot of them also put their places up for rent. So we had a double hit on the uh, you know inventory of, of rentals. Right, right. Uh, do you think people are uh, taking that into consideration when they're pricing for next year? Hopefully, hopefully they are, because in most every market, uh, most every year, we don't rent all our inventory. And the condition of the house and the price are very critical reasons why it either does or doesn't get rented. Oh, right. That's true. Do you think prices are still rising? Well, in this hamlet, as of the, the end of the last quarter, yes, hmm. they are. But the problem is that we don't, you know, everything here is priced now. Most everything is priced over $2 million, which is, harder number to get in this area. We had some excellent sales um, on land here. We didn't have numbers like this in until quite recently, 5 million, 4 million, 3 million and change without waterfront. Um, so that's, that's, a new, that's a new paradigm for us, but that's still a small percentage of sales that we do in general. Excellent, okay. Um, what kind of advice do you give sellers thinking about putting their house on the market? And would you recommend now that we're going into the winter? Uh, 
Yes, I think that I think that if you have good photographs of, you know, if you have photographs of the high season house with trees and flowers, uh, it's a good idea to, um, you know, keep those, you know, take some photos now and, and have them ready for when you want to deploy the listing. If, right. if the listing is under two million, I would say put it out there now because people are still looking. I may wait till a little bit later, like just after the new year to list um, in a different price category. What kind of advice would on the other side, what kind of advice would you give to buyers coming into the market? I, I, I tell them to be prepared with, you know, proof of funds or a pre-approval letter if they plan to finance um, and, and to be diligent about looking right away at properties that interest them because we're still in a situation where you kind of have to pounce on things if, if you're going to be the one to get it. Right. Do you think uh, the mortgage rates have had, had any effect on you or on the house, on the homes? Yes, they definitely have. People, you know, are able to get less house for the yearly outlay that they were planning to make. And um, some people are waiting this out too, thinking that maybe the prices, the um, rates will go down and, and that there will be a more welcoming climate in, in the future. Right. In uh, 10 seconds, can you give us a prediction for and go out on the limb and give us a prediction for 2023? I think that things are going to be a slower, slower rate of sales like this year. Same issue still with a lack of inventory. Hopefully they'll be start starting to get a little more inventory coming in. I don't think that prices are going to plummet or anything like that, but because each increase in price has, um, elevated the ambitions of sellers, you know, people are going to have to maybe get a little more realistic now. These ambitious prices are not flying at this time. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how could they uh, get in contact? They could email me at deirdre.devita at sotheby's.realty. Fantastic. Deirdre DeVita, thank you so much for sharing your insights. This is John Christopher for Real Life broadcasting in the sunny village of Southampton on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay right where you are because we'll be right back after the short break with our next guest, former real estate educator, John Vitaretti. back to real life and this is your host john christopher and today i have with me and i'm honored to have him also is the esteemed erudite and former real estate educator john vitaretti hey john how are you good afternoon john nice to speak with you and, and likewise yes it's great having you back john it's been a Thank while you. but here you are so this is great earlier we had a conversation regarding the difference between a real estate professional and a professional salesperson. But before we breach that subject, could you give us a little background about yourself? Well, I guess the background that would be most relevant to the topic is that I had the opportunity to teach licensing laws, uh, continuing education for real estate agents at NYU. I was there for 16 years and also for at Southampton, Southampton College. Uh, which then, of course, when that closed, became Long Island University. I did that for about 20 years. I was uh, I taught for the NYSAD, New York State Association of Realtors, 
And also, I uh, I helped start the Cook Marin School, which is located in East Hampton and Southampton. I was the inaugural instructor there until I retired from that in 2016. And now I'm pretty much limited to uh, writing a monthly article on the subject of real estate for Hamptons.com. That's great. So you still got your hand in it. Uh, um, that what Before you became an educator, uh, you were an agent. So what prompted you to, to uh, bypass being an agent and, and become a real estate educator? Well, as I got into the teaching, I found that uh, I really took a liking uh, to, to lecturing on the subject matter. Uh, I didn't know what to expect when I originally went into uh, the licensing. I have a broker's license. And I went through the normal process that everyone has to go through. And what I found to be typically uh, appealing was the uh, what is required as far as the obligations of a real estate agent. And I felt that that really was my niche. That the background that I had, the experience, was a foundation, but I was attracted to the multitude of laws, federal, state, and local, uh, in which the real estate agent must conduct business. And I realized that uh, uh, I would think that most people, including some agents, uh, might think of, of real estate as a, as a sales position. And I came to realize that it was much more than a sales position because you have to meet certain requirements. You have to get a license, for instance. And a license, by definition, is a privilege. It's, it's not a right. So it's a licensed profession. And whatever you can, any business that you conduct, you have to do it within the framework of federal, state, and local laws. And it... And as a result of getting into the teaching and also writing continuing education courses, uh, I found that there was, there was a great deal that I don't say that was, that was being missed in the educational process, but perhaps not really fully appreciated. Well, that's, that's what, that gets us back to the point where we were saying uh, it's such more, it's much more involved to become uh, a real estate a professional as compared to being a, a sales professional. And yeah, I'm not denigrating, you know, sales positions in general. Uh, but uh, I, I would say that only a very small minority uh, require that you have a real estate license. Right. And not only do you have to acquire the real estate license, uh, going through the uh, 75 hours of licensing currently, and 22 and a half hours every two years to renew that license. So you don't have the license in perpetuity. You have to, you have to take uh, required CE courses to be able to get that license renewed. And then if you want to move on to become an associate broker or a broker, uh, there's an additional 45 hours and a certain number of years that you must uh, be in the industry in order to become a manager or, or a uh, or a or a, uh, a branch manager, you know. So, and I saw, you know, I see all of this, and I say this is very, very different. I don't think the public realizes. They think that real estate is is taking out customers and saying, you know, this is the basement, this is the living room, this is the kitchen, 
you're going to love it here, and I don't see why you couldn't put on a deck. <laughs> but it's much more than that. If that's all it were, it would simply be a sales position. But, you know, it's it's a also being a licensee, uh, you have imposed upon you by law a fiduciary responsibility to your client, which means that you must place the interest of your client above all others, including your own, while at the same time acting towards the other party of the transaction uh, with fairness. Uh, so if you really think about it for a moment, uh, your first obligation is to your client. Your second obligation is to what we call the customer. And your third. But even third, you have to operate within a framework with other agents, right? Uh, who, in, in reality, while you, you may all be working in the same brokerage office, since you're independent contractors, 90% of all real estate agents are nationally, uh, you're in effect, you're in competition with them. And, uh, but at the same time, while it's a competitive situation, in order to reach a certain level of synergy, for your own sanity and what's in the interest of the public, you have to cooperate. You have to be respectful to each other. You must act ethically. So all of these things, I think, make real estate a very unlike most sales position, positions. Right. Well, you know, when you were talking about fiduciary duties, one of the things, because uh, you were the first person I took um, when I first uh, got into the real estate uh, business, say some 20 odd years ago. Um, I still remember those, uh, I think it's six things, uh, accounting, care, confidentiality, disclosure, loyalty, and obedience. Can you yeah. give us a description of that? That's uh, the fiduciary duties of a real estate. Well, that, is, that, that defines fiduciary responsibilities. And ironically, there's nothing there that is self-serving. So uh, under the laws under which we as a licensees operate, the law is indifferent as to whether or not you ever make a commission. Well, I like the part about the confidentiality. Uh, the obligation to serve the interest of the public. Right. But, mm-hmm. but we have a, a duty also as disclosure to say who we're representing. Yes. One of the most complex uh, requirements of the license law, agency disclosure. Yes. Yeah. You know, another thing that I find uh, in, uh, that I think a lot of people aren't aware of uh, the term uh, vicarious uh, liability that uh, brokers uh, could suffer. Can yes. you explain that? What, what is a vicarious li- uh, liability? Associate brokers and salespeople must work under the supervision of a licensed real estate broker. And the associate brokers and salespeople are responsible for their own conduct. The broker is responsible for his or her own conduct, but also can be held vicariously liable, in other words, in violation of the law, of all the agents under whose supervision those agents are working. So that there's no limitation on the number of agents that a broker may have under the supervision, but they are vicariously responsible for the number, for for all of them, regardless of the number. And that includes, even if they have branch offices 
and they have an associate broker because today you must be an associate broker to be able to manage a branch office, right? The, the associate broker is now vicariously liable for the agents in that particular branch office, but the broker is responsible for all. So that the, and that's regardless of the number. Uh, so that imposes a great responsibility uh, upon the, the broker. And a lot of, again, sometimes that's overlooked, is that if a salesperson associate broker is in violation of the law, uh, they can have their license suspended or revoked and also penalized financially. Okay. If an associate broker, I'm sorry, if the broker is vicariously liable, and the broker loses his license, either through suspension or revocation. The licenses of every agent under his supervision or her supervision is suspended. So you're out of business. <laughs> so the harm is caused, and, and it's, it's, it's irrespective in that office of who the guilty parties may or may not be. Everybody's license is suspended because the broker's license was suspended or revoked. And then what the licensees must do, they must go and find another supervising broker. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, all it takes is uh, one bad apple in an office and, and uh, that, that brokerage could be out of business. That's exactly right. That brokerage could be out of business. Right. Yeah, um, I understand that NASAR, which is the New York State Association of Realtors, wants the yes. uh, broker's course to be increased from 45 hours to uh, 75 hours, and that experience to be increased from two years, which it is now, to five years. What do you That's think correct. about that, that recommendation? What do I think about it? Yep. Well, I, I, I'd like to avoid being facetious, but to be quite honest with you, when I consider... Well, let me step back for a moment. Until recently, until very recently, in fact, September of, of this year, right? Uh, anyone who had a, an associate broker or broker's license for, uh, for 15 years okay, was exempt from continuing education. That since has been revoked. Now there are no exemptions. And if you think about it, somebody who got their license 20 years ago right, would never have been required to take another continuing education courses. Right? And laws are changing every day. There are case law every day at any given moment. There can be new court decisions that affect the real estate industry. Right? So that vacuum of time is really a, a, a could could have a very negative effect on real estate agents. So I say, and this is the facetious part, but there's there's a, a, a certain amount of seriousness. If I were the broker who was vicariously liable for all of the agents in my office, I'd have you taking continuing education every day to protect myself from your unwittingly or otherwise committing violations for which I could lose my real estate broker's license. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with you. You know, that's it's amazing because uh, uh, I think it was shown um, some of the mandatory uh, courses that we now have to take uh, are every uh, two years. Um, yeah. You know, at least it keeps you abreast of what's happening. You know, and you and yes. you have to be on top of it. You know, so speaking of being on top, how can somebody get in touch with you if they? Uh, we're interested in oh, contacting you. They can send me an email. I don't mind receiving emails. I always was receptive to them, even when I was teaching. Right. Uh, use my name, John A. Vitteriti, V-I-T-E-R-I-T-T-I, at gmail.com. John Vitteretti, it's been a pleasure having you on Real Life. And this is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the bustling village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. WLIW 88.3 FM. By the way, if you have any thoughts or comments, please reach out to me at john.christopher at sir.com. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.